Today's Sunday sermon has been made possible by the members of Southside Christian Fellowship Church and listeners like you. Thank you for your continued prayerful and financial support of this ministry. If you would like to get involved or simply want to learn more about one of our many ministries, please just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. What I'm telling you is sometimes we are a part of the problem. We're more focused on what's not happening than what is happening. Could we have a turnaround this morning and let's start talking about the solution and quit talking about the problems? Come on, the only problem we got is a Jesus problem. We need to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Have you ever been around a friend or a family member or maybe just a coworker that was always telling you why something wouldn't work? It can be frustrating when someone is always showing you the problem but never coming up with any solutions. Sometimes even those of us that look on the positive side of life can become a problem pusher. Today, the world needs the church to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. We are the church. In today's message, Pastor Eddie Mason continues his series on just what that looks like for the church to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. But today I want to talk about the church being the church. Turn to your neighbor and ask him this question. Are you part of the problem or part of the solution? Mm. Now turn to that same person and say, am I part of the problem or part of the solution? Mm. Some of us may need to listen too because we may be part of the problem and we don't even know it. Um, I I shared this before, but I want to start it off with the same thing. When I was 26, 27 years old, my brother and, and my dad and I all worked together. And we were just young, and of course, my daddy was a master salesman. And when I say a master salesman, my daddy had raised millions of dollars. He had built many, many companies. He'd done lots and lots of different things. And so he knew what he was talking about. And he come to us, and he said, he said, he, said, he told me, he said, Eddie, Brick, we want, I want to expand this business, and this is what we're going to do. And Brick and I would say, that won't work. And we said, he said, why won't it work? We explained to him why it wouldn't work. And he came to us with another, another idea, and we said, that won't work. And we just kept going on, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work. Finally, one day, my daddy, my sweet daddy came in, and he said, dang it, I don't want to hear anything else about what won't work. You don't, if you can't tell me what will work, just keep your mouth shut. I thought, oh, Okay. So I kept my mouth shut for a long time. What I'm telling you is sometimes we are a part of the problem. We're more focused on what's not happening than what is happening. You see, when I made the announcement several weeks ago that God said it was a day of the turnaround, some of us meant we thought immediately things were going to turn around, and they did. For many of us, they got worse. Well, what do you expect? The turnaround means that something's got to change and something's got to be shaken loose. And, and the Holy Spirit wants to know, are you going to be moved by what you see or by what he said? Are you going to walk in faith or are you going to walk by sight? The scripture tells us we walk by faith and not by sight. And so part of the problem is we outthink God. Turn to your neighbor and say, we think we're smarter than God sometimes. 
And we don't want to be in that place. And so we want to be in the place where we're part of the solution. You see, it's pretty easy to articulate the problems of our society right now. And, and we talk about it. Man, we talk about it. We talk about it from the political standpoint. We talk about it from the immorality standpoint. We just talk on and on and on. We talk about being a fatherless generation. We talk about the homelessness problem. We talk about fear and anxiety and depression. We talk about the problem with drugs. We talk about wickedness, abortion, sex trafficking, child pornography, sexual identity, sickness, disease, mental illness, witchcraft, demonic possession. And the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. And we probably spend 90% of our time talking about the problem and less than 10% of our time talking about the solution. Could we have a turnaround this morning and let's start talking about the solution and quit talking about the problems? Come on. The only problem we got is a Jesus problem. We need to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. You see, the Father says that we are part of the solution. We are the major part of the solution. The church is the solution to humanity's problem. Jesus Christ indwelled in the church is the solution for the world. The only Jesus most people are going to see is you. So how are you presenting him? What kind of glory are you bringing to his name? You see, the Father's looking for a church that will stand in agreement with the Son, pray, and stand in the full manifestation of the will of God on the earth. That means we can't be shaken by anything that's happening in the earth today. Thank you for that amen. <laughs> we get so shaken up. How many of you have heard about Popeye's new chicken sandwich? Isn't that cool, boy? I'm telling you what, the lines are just forever. How many of you know a guy lost his life not long ago over a Popeye's fried chicken sandwich? Woo. There's a problem. There's a problem. But there is a solution. And if the church remains quiet, so does the solution remain quiet. Let me, let me tell you, there was, a, there was a mega church here in Atlanta, and I'm not going to call any names because uh, you may or may not agree with their theology. But one of the things that they promoted continually was the fact that Jesus came to reverse the curse. Come on, tell your neighbor, Jesus came to reverse the curse. I mean, you may have to think about that one a little bit. You remember when Adam and Eve, thing, there was a curse that came in the earth, and with that curse came sickness and disease and all manner of evil. And Jesus came to reverse every bit of that, didn't he? Jesus reversed that. I was talking to Guy Chevreau about that one day, and I, I was telling Guy about it, and he said, no, he said, I think I would rather say that Jesus came to heal the deal. So whether he came to reverse the curse or heal the deal, in Jesus is the answer that we seek after because he, he, brought, he transformed heaven and earth when he entered into the earth and opened up the kingdom of God in its present form. In Isaiah, Isaiah said this about Jesus. He said, Isaiah 42, 1, behold my servant, turn to your neighbor and say, that's Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. 
He will bring forth justice to the nations. Turn to your neighbor and say, He'll bring forth justice. If you remember last week, I asked you what justice in the Scriptures was, and I told you if you didn't know to go look it up. How many of y'all went and looked it up? Don't raise your hands. You might embarrass yourself. Amen? Or me, one of the two. You see, we want to know, we want to know what justice is, but we think we know what justice is. We think we understand what justice is. And in our humanity, we judge whether something is just or unjust. The problem is we do it based on our experience, not on the wisdom of God himself. And so we've been called into this place. Jesus has been called to administer justice in the earth, in all the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring justice. Hmm. He's saying that justice is coming to broken people. Now this is the key. We're all broken in some way. But the Lord says, that, I mean, Isaiah said that Father told him that when we come to the Son, He will not turn away from us. He will never turn away. Your brokenness and your woundedness is what Jesus came to bring justice in the earth for. And whether we choose to operate in that justice or not is up to us. Let me go on and just read a little bit more about this justice that Jesus brings. He says in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely He has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought our peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have grown astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As Guy said, Jesus Isaiah declared, Jesus came to heal the deal. Turn to your neighbor and say, not only did he come to do it, he did it. Turn to your neighbor and say, he did it. It's not he's going to do it, he did it. Jesus brought justice into the earth. And he said, what is this justice? He said, I was pierced for your transgression. I was crushed for your rebelliousness. Upon me was the chastisement the terror, the torment, the dysfunction, all of that was brought upon me. And by his wounds I've been wounds I've been healed. That means the sin problem has been taken care of. The sickness problem has been taken care of. The fear problem has been taken care of. The anxiety problem has been taken care of. The depression has been taken care of. Am I making sense to you? That's what Isaiah was saying about this justice that was on the earth. And so justice is for the broken. Justice is for those that, that, that need help, that need, our, that need God. And finally in Isaiah 61, he says this. And Jesus quotes this in the book of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Say good news to the poor. He anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Well, you know what poor people need? They need out of poverty. He said, I brought you good news. You can come out of poverty. 
There are a lot of people that have come out of poverty and never come out of a poverty mentality. Because we have a lot of people in Christ that have a poverty mentality. Their God lacks so much. Can I tell you, my God doesn't lack anything. Come on, give God praise. Yeah, give God praise. He's worthy of all praise. And so I want him to understand that he came to bring good news to the poor. He sent me, he sent Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted. How many of you have ever been brokenhearted? You know what that deals with? It's the woundedness of our emotions. Anybody in here ever had your emotions wounded? Anybody in here ever had your emotions before they were just torn up? You couldn't stand it? Listen, we get, it, we get so emotional about things. Something happens to a child. Something happens to a spouse. Something happens to our money. Uh, I mean, let me go on. <laughs> to proclaim liberty to the captives. Listen to me. One third of Jesus' ministry was casting out demons. Well, he must have done a good job because we don't have to cast any out anymore. Not what the scripture teaches us. Not what the scripture teaches us. He said he came to set the captives free. Those five people that Charles ministered to, they were captive. They were captive in their own mind. How many of you heard what happened in Locust Grove High School this past week, Friday? Yeah, there were four girls that overdosed on G, what is it called? GHB. They overdosed on GHB. All four of them had to be rushed to the hospital. They were just going to have a good time. Just going to have a good time. That's the enemy. That's the evil one. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Nobody went in there to have that happen to them. They went in there to enjoy themselves. They went in there to have a good time. They just didn't realize what the outcome of that was going to be. We have an enemy, and that enemy has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy that enemy wants to kill our young people. He wants to destroy their future. He wants to be sure that they never get off the ground and that they never come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Jesus said, but I went to the cross. I died to set the captives free. I died so that people didn't have to walk in that kind of captivity of heart and mind and spirit so that they could be set free to worship and praise and magnify and enjoy the person of Jesus Christ. He said, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. If I were to tell you how many people were in prison, I'm not talking about literal prison. That's pretty full. But I'm talking about a prison of their own making. My brother several years ago, many, many years ago now, got into a fight with his boss. And he left that day. And this was a multi-million dollar corporation was doing extremely well and he left that day to go home and he waited till his anger subsided before he got in the car and as far as he knew everything was good the next day when he woke up he was attacked with anxiety that right out of the pits of hell my brother could not get in an automobile and go five miles 
from his house. He was imprisoned by anxiety. My daddy looked at him one day and he said, Rick, just get on your motorcycle and ride and just bust that five-mile barrier. Rick said, Daddy, you don't understand. It is impossible. I cannot move my legs, my feet, my hands to go more than two or three miles away from this house. That's prison, folks. That's prison. God said, I've come to sin. Open up prison doors. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. He said, I've come to comfort all who mourn. He leaves out in Luke this thing about the day of vengeance. But the day of vengeance that he's talking about is the eradication of the evil in the earth. God's not mad at us. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's not mad at you. God loves you. God wants the very best for you. God wants you to understand the joy of his salvation. He wants you to understand what it means to move in the love and the power of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I have come. This is the year of the Lord's favor. We talked about this Friday night. It's a proclamation of the year of Jubilee. It means what the enemy has stolen, God wants to give it all back. Come on, give God praise. Give God praise. He's stolen the relationship with your child. God wants to give it back to you. He's stolen your money. God wants to give it back to you. He's stolen your joy. God wants to give it back to you. He's stolen your peace. God wants to give it back to you. Am I making any sense to you today? Come on. It's the year of the Lord's favor today. Today is that day. Jubilee. We, we, we get, this is the year of Jubilee. It's been the year of Jubilee since he ascended into heaven and seated himself on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It's the year of the acceptable year of the Lord. It is the year of Jubilee. It's time that the enemy quit stealing from us and he give back what he stole from us. We used to sing that. We used to sing that song. Pat used to sing that song, didn't you, Pat, up there at, at uh, uh, Stockbridge Assembly. I can remember. They, 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 I'm going to take back, and they step up me, step back, and they step up me, step back. Listen, we need to take back what the enemy's saying. Turn to your neighbor and say, quit waiting on it, take it. Woo! Well, I'm right here, God. If you want to give it to me, uh-uh. Take back. Take it back. Take it back. In, in Jesus' proclamation, he said, I am the solution for poverty, brokenheartedness, bondage, blindness, woundedness, disease, affliction, and sin. Wow. He is the glorious healer of all. In 1 John 2.18, he said, Children, 
This is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. But in verse 20 he says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you will have knowledge. He said, I'm, I've given you understanding. But look what he says first. You have been anointed. Turn to somebody and say, I'm anointed. Either I'm anointed or the book's a lie. I'm waiting for my anointing. Why are you waiting for it? Jesus said he anointed you. He set you apart for good works. He set you apart to proclaim the gospel. He set you apart to declare the glory of God in the earth. Come on, we got to grab hold of this thing. Look what he says in 1 John 2, 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. Put yourself and say, it abides right here. Woo, that's the Holy Ghost of God. He said he's abiding inside of us. All the power, all the authority, all the glory, all the honor. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. He abides in us. Sometimes we just need to let him out of the house. We got him in prison. Why? Because we're afraid we'll get embarrassed. We're afraid we'll get embarrassed. Somebody might not like us talking about Jesus. Well, let me just, let me just erase all fear. I'll guarantee you if you talk about Jesus, some people won't like it. So now you don't have to worry about it anymore. Amen? They definitely don't like Jesus. And you know who doesn't like Jesus? It's not people. It's the enemy. He hates Jesus. He hates Jesus. So if we're going to do what God wants us to do, if we're going to be part of the solution, then we need to change some priorities in our life. John David talked about priorities when he, when he began to share. What are the priorities in our life? What are we taking hold of that says, this is what's important to me? I can tell you what's important to you. To you. Two things. How you spend your time and how you spend your money. Those are the two things that are important to you. They are the most important thing to you. What's the priority? In other words, how are we going to spend our time and how are we going to spend our money to further the kingdom of God and to see that His will is done on the earth. Do you really want what God wants? Do you really want what God wants? And so we need to change the way we think. We need to change the way we talk. We need to change the way we act. And we need to change what we believe. We need to quit believing that the enemy is greater than God. We're so afraid that somebody's going to take liberty from us you can't take the liberty that abides inside of you. You can't steal what God's given you. Let me tell you again about Charles Carey. The man that brought him to Jesus Christ had been suicidal, had wound up in prison, and in prison he got born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, gifted beyond measure, and was laying hands on people and seeing them get filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was at perfect peace, although he couldn't even walk out the door because the doors were locked behind him. 
I don't care what they do. If you've got the Holy Spirit abiding in you, they can't steal the Holy Ghost of God from you. You can act like he doesn't live there. You can be who you want to be. But I'm going to tell you, if you acknowledge that he lives, that he exists, that there's power inside of you, then there's a call on your life. And that call says, you have been called to glorify Jesus Christ. And it's time that we get busy glorifying Jesus Christ. We need to do what we're called to do. We've got to change the way we think. Romans 12, 2 said, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, turn to your name and say, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. We need to think in terms of life and death and not right and wrong. Darren, I wish I had you notes here. I'd read that to them. Right, turn to your neighbor and say, right, right. is clothed in pride. I asked a question three or four weeks ago. I said, if it's life and death, and there is a life and death situation, you know, one of the rules in my daddy's house is you can't wear a hat into his house. Man cannot wear a hat into his house. And so I ask you the question, is that a matter of life and death or is that just a matter of preference? Of course, I knew the answer. That's just a matter of preference. When I walked out the door, the Holy Spirit said, son, you're wrong. shook my head and he said for everybody in that church it may be a matter of preference but for you it's life and death I said Lord what are you talking about he said you know the first commandment with promise honor your mother and father that your days may be long for me to wear a hat in his house is dishonoring my father and it is a place of life and death. Now that's for me. I'm not telling anybody else that. But for me, I have to honor and show respect for my father. And that's what he has asked for. And you know something? I just don't think that's too much. I just don't think that's too much. But we want, we, we want to get in arguments about these things. But is it life or is it death? And sometimes we get away from things that really do bring death. We don't understand the little things that have come in there. What is it the Scripture said? It's the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. It's the little things that we're not paying attention to that have life and death attached to them. And the Lord's saying, look at your choices. Is what you're doing bringing life or is it bringing death? How many of the people around you understand that you've taken a stance for life? I believe in life. I'm not called to condemn. I'm called to encourage. I'm not called to judge. I'm called to release the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to love people out of the circumstances they're in into the kingdom where they can be, be, be filled with joy forevermore. Lady, I don't, I don't know whether that's right. I'm telling you, we don't think right. We don't think right. So you've got to think different. You've got to think, I'm anointed. 
You think Jesus knew he was anointed? I know he did. Do you know you're anointed? Do you think like that? When you get up in the morning, do you go on and say, man, I'm strapping my anointing on. Here I go. You don't have to strap it on. It lives inside of you. You are anointed. The only question is, what am I going to do without anointing? What am I going to do with what Christ has given to me? He has set me there to do what he did. I'm going to proclaim good news. He, he says, the, the anointing abides in me. And the anointing is there for a purpose. What's the anointing there for? It's to overcome. Woo-wee. It's to overcome. Some of us have been living under the circumstances for so long we wouldn't know what it is to get on top. You know, it's time to stand up and flip the script and start stomping on the head of the enemy and quit laying under there. Now, sometimes you got to get there before you can get on top. Herman was an excellent wrestler. He was an excellent wrestler. The first two years of his wrestling career, he spent on his back. He learned how to post. Anybody know what posting is? It's what keeps your back from, your shoulders from touching the ground. So he would get out there. Within less than 30 seconds, they'd have him on his back. And for the next six minutes, they would just hold him there because they couldn't move him. He was like a rock. He just couldn't be moved. But you know what happened is from the bottom, he learned how to fight. And it wasn't too long until when when he learned how to fight, he started winning some. And then he started winning a lot. And then it got to be real fun because then there were some people that were even afraid to wrestling. He went to college and they started an intramural wrestling team. Herman wrestled with two of them. They quit the team. Everybody stopped. He couldn't understand it. The biggest guy there said, you hurt me. Now, you got to remember, Herman didn't weigh but 160 pounds back then. He learned how to wrestle from being on the bottom. But you can't stay on the bottom. Sooner or later, you got to get on top. I never will forget. His mama went to a wrestling match, and it was over in Fayetteville. And coach decided they were going to bump him up a bunch of weight classes. So here is a 160-pound Herman, and they're going to put him against a 189-pound guy. Right? Here this guy comes out, and he got cannonballs for shoulders. You all seen those guys like that, hadn't you? He got cannonballs for shoulders, and, you know, he just lifts his arm, and his muscles flex. And you can see fear has come upon Herman. And his thought process is, this guy is going to kill me. And the coach said, Herman, he's strong, but he's got no technique. He said, your technique will win. And so sure enough, they lock up, and Herman's going to stand his ground until this 189-pound guy decided he wasn't going to stand his ground, and he pushed him round and round and round the circle. And Herman, all of a sudden, his training kicked in, and he said, all I got to do is drop down and hit this man with a fireman's carry. And he, he, his, his own weight will take him. Well, he did. He dropped down, pulled the guy's shoulder, and the guy goes flying out of the ring. The whole gym is going, "Ah!" and Herman is saying, oh, God, he's going to kill me for sure. 
Now, this is going to happen again. And coach says, just do what you've been doing, Herman. They get back in the ring. And they start, and the guy grabs hold of Herman, and he starts pushing him again. And Herman's thinking, this guy is dumb. And so this time, when he jerks him down, he locks him up, and he pins him to the ground. He was strong, but he didn't know what he was doing. Our enemy is strong, but he doesn't know what he is doing. And our coach is saying, you can't overcome him because you've been empowered by the Holy Ghost inside of you. Quit staying under the circumstances. Put the, under, put the circumstances on their back in front of you. Come on, give God praise. Yeah. One little side note. His mama is there hollering, don't you hurt my baby, don't you hurt my baby. Got to let me think how you think. We look at the circumstances and say, I'll never get out from under this. What? What? Didn't I just read you what Isaiah said? Didn't I just read you what Jesus said? Didn't I just tell you the truth? Do you not believe what the word of the Lord says? Yeah, but Eddie, in the midst of it, in the midst of it, you got to quit talking like you've already been defeated. In the midst of it, you got to quit acting like you're defeated. In the midst of it, you got to quit declaring what the enemy's declaring and start declaring what Jesus is declaring. Amen. We have to talk differently. The Bible says, in our tongue is the power of life and death. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish and in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. He said, you need to hold on to God's word with everything that's within you. Quit thinking how you would do it and look and see how God's doing it. We are so self-sufficient, we don't need God. And God said, you can't handle it on your own. You need to become God-dependent. The Apostle Paul said, in my weakness I will glory, because it's in my weakness that he becomes strong. We need to understand what God's all about. We've been taught that being a man means, able, means being able to work everything out for yourself. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't do it. And life is good as long as we can put stuff under our control. When we begin to lose control, we begin to lose our mind. You know, when my kids were little, when Josh was just a little bitty boy, that was my baby boy. Everywhere I went, he went with me. And he found some girl and he left me. But my baby boy. My middle boy, my oldest boy, they went to bed when I told them to go to bed most of the time. They got up when I told them to get up. I took them to the dentist. I took them to the doctors. I took them where they went, and they had to go where I said go because I was the one that was in control. And then they got to be teenagers, and I began to lose some of my control, and I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. And then they grew up, and you think, well, God, if they ever get grown, that's a lie right out of the pits of hell. 
Because when they get gone, you still care about everything that happens to them, but you have no control whatsoever. It's no longer up to you, it's up to them. So what you did when they were young better be enough to sustain them when they're old because you no longer have control. And when we lose control, if we haven't taught them the right way, then all we can do is hope that God comes by and sends somebody their way to teach them the right way. And he will, he will. But I'm just telling you, we got to change the way we, we talk. We've got to change the way we walk. We've got to change the way we act. And we got to be a people that live for purpose and on purpose. And then finally, and I want to close right here, you've got to believe you can make a difference in the world. If you don't believe that you can make a difference in the world, you won't even try. You just sit back and say, well, that's the work of the evangelist. Pastor's supposed to be studying the word. People are called to intercession. Somebody else will witness to them. I'm going to pray somebody witnesses to them. Why not you? Why not you? How many of you thought about the Middle East and you've been praying, God, send somebody into the Middle East that can preach your word. Send somebody into the Middle East. Why not you? Oh, oh wait now. thought we wanted what God wanted. One of our cry going to be, send me, Lord, send me. Let me tell you when that's going to be. When you believe that the Holy Ghost of God really does abide inside of you. When you really believe that no weapon formed against you can prosper. When you really believe that you've got the enemy under your feet. When you believe what God's Word says, then you'll be willing to say, Lord, let me be the one. Let me be the one. Send me those that nobody else wants to deal with. Send me those that nobody else cares about. I've got you. You will love them in me and through me. You will set them free because I'm anointed. I'm begging you. Please do not let this sermon go in one ear and out the other. Please hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you. We are the only chance this world has. Why? Because He has chosen His church to you be used to move in His power. We are the only chance, and I'm not talking about Southside Christian Fellowship. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ, of which we are a part of the church. But if we don't move, then we'll be like the children in the wilderness and we will die saying that we have the Holy Spirit in us and we will never enter into the place God has for us. One last thing and I'm going to get you to stand. I get so excited about going to lunch every day now. You know, used to be when you're in school, recess was your favorite period. Lunch is my favorite period of the day. Two of the best things in the world happen right there. I get to eat. Oh, don't look at me so holy. And I get to pray for people. I get to pray for people every day. Every day I get to pray for people. And most of the time, I see the Holy Spirit move on people. 
I see people that were bound up in shame, all of a sudden hope begins to arise. I see people that are bound up in fear, and all of a sudden they realize there's hope in Jesus Christ. I went to Walmart yesterday, uh, Friday, picked up my groceries, and my little lady came out, and I asked her, I said, did you get your house? She said, we did. She said, I don't know how we did it. We got $10,000 together in the last nine weeks. We don't even make $10,000, but we got $10,000 together. I said, well, I want to come pray over your house. She said, well, it's in Covington. I said, I don't care. I don't care. I got people in Covington. I'll go spend the night at our house if I have to. I want to pray over it. And she kind of goes, I said, because I love to see answered prayers. You know where that $10,000, and all of a sudden tears start coming down her face. A smile comes, and she said, you're right, you're right, you're right. Get out of here and hug my neck. Hug my neck. <laughs> she was witness to a miracle and didn't even know it. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that he would cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.